Welcome to the Perceptive Readers as we cover Mark Twain's Prince and the Pauper in James' reading commentary, the fundamental reading that is. We will start off with opening consideration, then words meaning, the reading of chapter 8, The Prince and the Pauper, then moving on to People to Remember, and we conclude with Allow Me to Share a Thought. So let us begin with this reading and commentary on Mark Twain's Prince and the Pauper, Chapter 8. Opening Consideration Preparing to meet thy Maker, as ones before us have stated, sends a thinker into considerable contemplation. What awaits? Decay or paradise? Disdainful punishments or mercy and love? Have I overall been a kind and just person to the small and the great of life forces? Books from prophets, sages, and the divine, men and women read to find positive answers. The age-old question of what happens after humans die has been around since the dawn of time. Word Meanings A great seal is used to represent the certified authority of the king or ruler's approval of important documents. In this reading, the seal is referenced to stamp the document of a dire sentence. About five o'clock, Henry VIII awoke out of an unrefreshing nap and muttered to himself, Troublous dreams, troublous dreams. My end is now at hand. So say these warnings, and my failing pulses do confirm it. Presently, a wicked light flamed up in his eye, and he muttered, Yet, will not I die till he go before? His attendants, perceiving that he was awake, one of them asked his pleasure concerning the Lord Chancellor who was waiting without. Admit him, admit him, exclaimed the king eagerly. The Lord Chancellor entered and knelt by the king's couch, saying, I have given order. And, according to the king's command, the peers of the realm in their robes do now stand at the bar of the house, where, have confirming, having confirmed the Duke of Norfolk's doom, they humbly wait his majesty's further pleasure in the matter. The king's face lit up with a fierce joy. Said he, lift me up. In my own person will I go before my parliament, and with my own hand will I seal the warrant that rids me of, his voice failed, and Aspen Fowler swept the flush from his cheeks, and of attendants eased him back upon his pillows, and hurriedly assisted him with restoratives. Presently, he said sorrowfully, alack! How have I longed for this sweet hour, and lo, too late it cometh, and I am robbed of this so coveted chance. But speed ye, speed ye, let others do this happy office, sith tis denied to me. I put my great seal in commission, choose thou the lords that shall compose it, 
and get ye to your work. Speed ye, man, before the sun rise and set again. Bring me his head that I may see it. According to the king's command, so shall it be. With this pleases your majesty to order that the seal be now restored to me so that I may forth upon the business. The seal? Who keepeth the seal but I? Please, your majesty, you did take it from me two days since, saying it should no more do its office till your own royal hand should use it upon the Duke of Norfolk's warrant. Why, so in sooth I did. I do remember. What did I with it? I am very feeble. So off these days doth my memory play the traitor with me. Tis strange, strange. The king droppeth into inarticulate mumblings, shaking his gray head weakly from time to time and gropingly trying to recollect what he had done with the seal. At last, my lord Hertford ventured to kneel and offer information. Sire, if that I may be so bold, here be several that do remember with me how they gave you the great seal into the hands of his highness, the Prince of Wales, to keep against the day that... True, most true, interrupted the king. Fetch it. Go. Time flieth. Lord Hereford flew to Tom, but returned to the king before very long, troubled and empty-handed. He delivered himself to this effect. It grieveth me, my lord, the king, to bear so heavy and unwelcome tidings, but it is the will of God that the prince's affliction abideth still, and he cannot recall to mind that he received the seal. So came I quickly to report, thinking it were a waste of precious time and a little worth withal, that any should attempt to search the long way of chambers and saloons that belong unto his royal high. A groan from the king interrupted. The Lord at this point, and a little while his majesty said, with a deep sadness in his tone, Trouble him no more, poor child. The hand of God laughed heavy upon him, and my heart goeth out in loving compassion for him, and sorrow that I may bear his burden and my own trouble-weighted shoulders, so bring him peace. He closed his eyes, fell to mumbling, and presently was silent. After a time, he opened his eyes again and gazed vacantly, around until his glance rested upon the kneeling Lord Chancellor. Instantly his face flushed with wrath. What? Thou hear yet? By the glory of God, and thou gettest not about that traitor's business, thou mightry shall have holiday the morrow for lack of a head to grace withal. The trembling Chancellor answered, Good, your majesty, I cry you mercy, but waited for the seal. Man has lost thy wits. The small seal which aforetime I was wont to take with me a brother laughed in my treasury, and since the great seal had flown away, shall not it suffice? Hast lost thy wits. Be gone, and hawk ye. 
come no more till thou do bring his head. The poor chancellor was not long in removing himself from this dangerous vicinity, nor did the commission waste time in giving the royal assent to the work of the Slavist Parliament and appointing the morrow for the beheading of the premier peer of England, the luckless Duke of Norfolk. People to remember. The Duke of Norfolk. Parents gave considerable energy of thought in the naming of you. Allow me to share a thought. The impartial friend, death, the only immortal who treats us all alike, whose pity and whose peace and whose refuge are for all, the soul and the pure, the rich and the poor, the loved and the unloved. Quote by Mark Twain.